Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. I have a member of our community on today's podcast. Her name is Rachel. And in addition to sharing her story, she's also going to share a poem with us today. So I'm really excited to have her talk with us. Welcome, Rachel. Thank you, Anne. I feel privileged to try and be here and help other women in my situation, if you will, to feel like they're not alone, because I think that is one of the biggest things that keeps you in the midst of abuse. And you're trying to please everyone. And in the reality, you just want to be safe. Let's talk about your story. When you first met your now ex-husband, did you realize that some of the things that you were seeing were abuse? Not at all. To me, he was full of life, fun. He said all the right things. We were long distance at the time, which really helped his con go well. He said it was always time well spent. You're feeling like now looking back that this was part of the grooming phase and he was really able to do it long distance. Yes. We met through a mutual friend who has since totally seen all that he is and is so devastated for me. In the Christian circle, he used the church, God, you know, scripture to, to just seem like he was this great man that wanted the life that I wanted and, and the marriage that I wanted and, you know, the family and, you know, we were going to do it differently than both of our parents and red flags that I should have seen. He didn't have hardly any of his own friends, or if he did, I wasn't allowed to meet them. Having the long distance there, it kind of made it to where it wasn't, you know, oh, well, we're just long distance, you know, you can't meet everyone. Where did you live and where did he live at the time? Were you in different states? Uh, we were about three hours away. So same state, three hours away. I don't want to say I was more sheltered, but for lack of a better word, he was actually in the military at the time. He ended up eventually being discharged and not honorably. <laughs> Things were always someone else's fault. It was always a problem with what someone else did. And I grew up not realizing it at the time, which is what I'm dealing with and going through now. I was taught to hide things. I could see my mom pushing things under the rug. And, and so what a lot of people don't understand is I thought I was going toward a good and righteous man. 
I thought that that I was going to go towards something mm, better. Better than what you had experienced growing up. Yeah. And not that all of it was horrible because it wasn't, but there were so many things that are not good, that were toxic, that still are toxic, and that I don't choose to have my children around right now because it's not good for them or me. We can't heal if we're still around toxic behavior that is only simulating what we went through just in, in my immediate family with my four kids and my ex-husband. I remember him saying to me that he came to actually pursue my friend and realized that it was nothing was going to happen with her and him. And so I was the easier con. He could do it better because I knew him less. Mm. Did he actually say that to you? He did not say the con part, but he did tell me that he had come to pursue her and decided to pursue me instead. Okay. He did tell me that later, yeah. Okay, so he told you that, and your your feeling is you were the easier mark, quote-unquote mark. Yes. Her parents and their relationship was more stable. Mine wasn't. She had an extremely well-aware mom that was a force to be reckoned with um, and a really good dad. I have a mom that's still in the midst of abuse and a dad that does what he wants. Hmm. For me, the scripture was really used in a not great place where I knew I could not leave my childhood home unless I was married as a female. Mm. So that was a huge thing for me. When you say you knew this was used against you, looking back, you realize that wasn't true. Is that what you're saying? Correct. And it was technically I could have left, but there was such a condemnation that went with it. Like, oh, well, you shouldn't do that because that wouldn't be of God to leave without being married. So how old were you when this was happening? We met when I was 19 and then ended up getting married 14 months later um, when I was 20. And I was pregnant and I devastated my family. It was really hard for me. I had been pulled into premarital sex, which was never my plan. I'm a stubborn person and it was never something that I that I ever wanted to do, but that was, that was also part of the con. The shame that I felt with that, he never felt that shame. Mm -hmm. I lived with that shame for years. I had people shun me and my family because of it. I've talked with several women who have had this experience where it was not in their value system to have sex before they were married, but they were coerced and manipulated into having sex, not realizing that was tantamount to rape. They didn't realize they had been coerced at such a level. Correct. And then this quote unquote righteous guy who's not righteous at all, who's just putting on this mask of righteousness, ends up using that against them pretty much the rest of their marriage. Was that your experience too? Yes. Like not directly, but he used anything he could to break me down. Like he had to make me as bad as him. He knew I felt guilty. At one point, he would have these what I call lucid moments. He looked at me once and he he told me that us sleeping together before we were married was 100% his fault. Hmm. And I just looked to him like, are you? And, and I would always like into owning my own part. You know, my mom taught me that well. And you now he totally owned it one day. And then like, you know, several weeks or months later, nope. It, he had mm -hmm. completely backtracked, but he would have lucid moments like that where he knew, he knew everything he'd done. He knew the truth. And he likely knew the truth the entire time. He just 
that yes. day for some reason decided to, to to tell you that small portion of the truth because <laughs> he probably didn't tell you the whole truth about anything but just that small portion he admitted yeah I, I don't know why they do that that's an interesting thing because mo most of them do like have this moment where you think they get it and then later you realize wait they never got it I think it's the opposite where they're just taking their mask off to sort of say, I've known this the whole time. And then they go back to pretending like they didn't know it. Yes, I, I agree with the latter 100%. He would do that over the years where he would have these really extremely rare lucid moments, like I could count on one hand, where he would just say these things and he knew, he knew what he was doing. At one point got really bad. Um, he told me that the kids and I would be better off with another man. Mm-hmm. And then the next day denied that he said it. So it definitely became a pattern. I also wonder, um, these lucid moments that you're calling them, I also wonder if they're a very poignant, different type of abuse. And it is that they know that in that moment, the real truth would hurt you more. I'm, I'm talking about the universal you, not you specifically. Rachel, yes, of course. The um, universal you, in that moment, they're trying to hurt us. They're trying to hurt you. And so in that moment, they think the truth would hurt her more right now. Yes. Or alternatively, that they want to get out for some reason. They think if she would just kick me out and it would look like it was her fault, you know, something like that. And so they tell the truth in a moment to try and get you to kick them out or try to get you to do some kind of action. Did you ever sense that that was going on? And maybe that was the reason he told you that little bit of the truth on that one particular day? I agree with both. I definitely think that as the years went on, he wanted me to know somehow that he had the control, mm. that he was able to twist it. So there's definitely a different kind of almost pathological abuse going on because it was extremely thought out. And on, on the other, it was just this so passive aggressive where he just he wanted to make me seem extremely unstable in the beginning he part of the reason that he got me if you will is he'd been in the navy and been wild and everything else and this and that told me he didn't drink anymore after ending up waking up on the bathroom floor so that was fine with me because i was not a partying person and um and he told me that he would never slept with anyone before but then he he would allude to things of, you know, a coworker undressing herself in front of him and different things. And I, I believed, I believed all of it. And in reality, there's no way that, you know, he, that's how he got me. It's, it's like, oh, well, we've made a mistake, but, you know, we're meant to be, and we've made this mistake together. And so I now believe that to be a lie. I do not believe that he was a virgin when we got together. I think that that was part of his con. Yeah, that's highly likely. There's things now that I look back on and I think, yeah, I know that was a lie. Even though you don't know for sure, that intuition that we have um, helps us to know. So you know all these things looking back with hindsight, knowing what you know now, looking back. Yeah. Let's just kind of go back in time. What did you think it was back then? Did you think he maybe had a personality disorder or that he was just stressed at work? What were your thoughts about what was causing the problems? Having a 19-year-old now myself, I think that there's that time in our teenagehood that we think we can take on anything and everything. And I think it was just a lot of a naive of the world and, and how it worked and maybe my, my more sheltered state. But I think that I just thought that there was still enough good to outweigh the bad. 
if that makes any sense. Yeah. He, he was very family oriented. He cared about his parents. So I'm not really sure what I thought it was other than that, oh, well, everyone has their mistakes or quirks as long as there's more rights than wrongs. Did you ever think it was your fault? Did you ever think, well, if I did this better, maybe he wouldn't get mad or upset or something like that? In the midst of the dating, uh, no. He had a lot of honey and he made himself seem like the more stable one because he would tell me, you're really emotional. No, you really get excited about things. He was really probably doing things I didn't understand, but is definitely making himself look like, you know, of course you want to be with me. I'm grounding force in, in your life. I can help you sort of thing. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, Check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. So as the relationship progresses and you're kind of thinking, okay, well, this is just his personality and maybe, you know, my past and my messed up family has created some problems for me and trying to fix it. Was there um, ever a point that you decided to go to th- couple therapy or or get help from maybe clergy or something like that and if so how did that go oh i love this question so he's adopted and has adopted sibling and um different things and there was some issues with that and so he's very against counseling and he made this extremely known for a while counseling it messed me up as a kid i don't do counseling i don't do this And so he was able to push me off of that subject a lot with these kind of false traumatic kid statements about how trauma messed with him as a child and how his parents did it wrong. And what I should have caught on to before I answer your question is that he was always very family oriented, but he always had something negative to say about his parents behind their backs. Always. Mm it did not fail. It would happen daily sometimes. I started to notice that one a little bit when he would tell me I was so against Mm. them. I'm like, um, hold on. And so therapy, uh, or church counseling of any kind came very rarely. We tried once, um, when we lived in this church and the couple that headed it up at the time clearly should not have been there. They wanted you to go through this whole personality test and everything and how you, you know, would be compatible with Mm -hmm. each other. (laughs) And I'm like, well, we're already married. So what are we trying to do here? And then they were very much on the topic of how your sex life was. And I'm thinking, I don't want to tell you. It was our first experience in trying to do counseling, which he was very against. So it took a lot of convincing from me. It, It was totally screwed up. And so we didn't continue, of course, because what good was it going to do? And, and so the years went on. At this point, he had decided that he was not going to do counseling at all because somehow his abuse and the, the counseling and all that happened in his past, it was even worse for him. He just couldn't do that. And so in the very last couple years, uh, we tried again, uh, different city, different town, different church. And then it was about, well, the money and paying for it, you know, so it had to be through the church. We couldn't go and pay for it anywhere else because 
he did not deem that important to pay for counseling. So vouchers from church, trying to find the right person mm -hmm. because he had this saying that he did not want it to be husband bashing. And at the last one, he wanted to do more of the talking, which is funny because I usually have a lot to say. It's because he knew that I could paint a really bad picture of him because he knew what he is. He wanted it to be equal. He wanted it to be true couple therapy where it's a problem that you both have that you're both working on rather than it's his problem that he needs to fix. Is that, am I guessing right there? Yes, absolutely. And what I started to see and what I now um, know is that the biggest issue was not just that we were going to church and that we were trying to seek counseling, but that the church, uh, multiple ones, did not see or understand that you can't go into marriage counseling when there's abuse happening. Mm -hmm. And so he fooled some really good friends of mine, because they're not his anymore. We needed really big marriage counseling and that that was going to help. Mm -hmm. A lot of ladies maybe don't understand is that marriage counseling in the midst of abuse, it makes abuse worse mm -hmm. because not only was he controlling everything else, now he had a narrative when he finally did agree to it because he didn't have any other excuses left. Then he didn't want to talk about anything that was actually real. I wanted to talk about his abuse and his treatment of our son. Did you call it an abuse at the time or was was that not in your vocabulary yet with the therapist? I'm trying to remember. I think I called it his treatment of our son. Okay. I think is what I called okay. it. He ended up getting mad and walking out. Mm. He walked out of the session. That one might've been more pointed to me, the next counselor and therapist, because clearly it was the issue. Mm -hmm. What I learned later, which was really funny to me, is this counselor that I still think is a very good man. I've heard many, many good things from just my community about him as a person. I found out later that my own parents went to this very same man and um, that my dad didn't like him either. And I went, huh, that's interesting. So I let my abuser come back once because I was still, I was still hooked. And all of us feel this way. Our clergy didn't help us because they, they don't know that um, you shouldn't do couple therapy when there's abuse involved, right? I mean, we all like feel that way. Yes. It's unfortunate that they're not educated about abuse. Even if they say there's abuse, they wouldn't know that, but they might think, okay, well, maybe there's something that you're doing that would trigger him or something. They don't know it's abuse. So you go in and you're describing this behavior to them. They don't think it's abuse. They think maybe it's a communication issue or maybe an anger management issue or something else. But you also don't know it's abuse. And so that's what makes it so difficult is you're going to get help from someone. You don't know what it is. They misidentify the thing that you're describing as a communication issue or maybe you're not having sex enough or something like that. And then because it's misidentified, you go down the wrong road for a really long time. In my case, it was pornography addiction. Yeah. So that's the road I went down, right? Other people, they go down maybe a personality disorder. And I think the thing to us that's interesting is those two things might be true. They might have a personality disorder or they might be addicted to porn, but that doesn't make it not abuse. It's still an abuse issue. 
And so I don't want to like let clergy off the hook or let therapists off the hook or anything, but you would think therapists would know that it's abuse when you described it, but the average therapist does not. They are not trained in abuse. And even if they did know it was abuse, they would not know what to do. They would just be like, let's dig into your childhood trauma. And, And from what you're describing to me, it sounds like the thing that you thought it was, was just the leftover trauma or habits or perceptions he had from his growing up, right? That's why he was acting this way. You you didn't think of it as abuse. It was just more of like, he just needs to get over his childhood problems. I don't want to let people off the hook, but I think it's interesting that we don't know and the people that we go to for help also don't know. So it makes the whole situation so difficult. I'm really sad that women don't know like to go immediately maybe to this podcast and listen here and be like, oh, that's exactly what I'm dealing with. Oh, it's abuse and have it be identified really early on in the situation. Yes. I want to hold a little bit of grace for ourselves for not knowing it was abuse for clergy. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They didn't know it was abuse. Even therapists at the same time, it's also okay to be angry that we were screaming and yelling for help and nobody could help us. Rachel and I are going to pause the conversation here. So stay tuned for the continuation of our conversation next week. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on support the BTR podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.